Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that by clicking on the giving link located in the description below this video, online at fellowshipgj.com, or if you're a member here at Fellowship Church, you can give through your fellowship profile on the Church Center app. This will help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy today's message. Good morning, church, and welcome. We're so excited to have you here with us this morning. I just wanna share the scripture with you. This is Philippians 1.6, let's read it together. And it says, I am certain. And can we read that again together? I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. My church, I don't know when Christ Jesus is returning, but I do know that he will not stop. He will not stop loving you. He will not stop pursuing you. He will not stop working on your behalf and he will not stop until your breakthrough has come. Amen. So let's praise, let's worship him. Let's give him everything that we have this morning. Come on.
thoughts, our mind, our will, and emotions. Jesus, have your way. God, we surrender our, our dreams and our hope for the future. God, we surrender our world to you right now. In Jesus' name. want to keep you all up to date on some things that we have going on around here. It's super exciting. We have classes starting next week. Spiritual Warfare 1.0 will be on Wednesday at 6.30 here in this room. So if you've signed up through the Church Center app, you can either stop by today at the bookstore and get your book, or you, Jen will have it here on Wednesday night too. Um, one last thing that we have before we get into the video is Pastor Will is doing a Bible study. It's a virtual Bible study going through the book of Philippians. So this is such a cool opportunity because we have never reached this many people before. Like we have, we've had several people that, you know, drive in from Montrose or Delta or Basalt or whatever on a weekly basis, but we're being able to reach across our country, across our world, which is just incredible. So we wanna give everybody a chance to get connected, not only on Sunday morning, and this would be the perfect opportunity to do so. It's a Bible study starting on Wednesday, June 16th, which is the following Wednesday at 6.30, and that will be a Zoom-style meeting. Super exciting, you guys. Check out this video. Good morning, Fellowship Church, and thank you for joining us for our services today. Um, you know, we are so blessed to live in Western Colorado, and I know that for many of us, we've been inside a lot, or maybe we haven't been able to travel very much, but God has blessed us with such an incredible place to live and has blessed us with such an awesome place to recreate. And so I know for my family, that's what we've been taking advantage of as much as we can. And my daughter, Madeline and I are at the top of Pedicus right now. And I, I didn't kill you, like you made it. I mean, I got some scratches, but I'm alive. <laughs> if you've ever rode Pedicus before, you know that it is a, a miraculous journey, yes. an unforgiving uh, trek to the top of <laughs> A bunch of red rock um, but anyway uh, beyond that we want to welcome you this morning and thank you so much for coming if you are a first-time guest today love to have you uh, uh, mention that in your comment section below just say first time and uh, we'd love to be able to be in contact with you pray with you about any needs you may have and then also coming up when we're gonna get back together uh, as a church family we'll be doing guest receptions we'd love to invite you to one of those just so you can get to know us a little bit more in person but this is also a time in our service where we give of our tithes and offerings and we just worship the Lord with give uh, with uh, singing and with song and now's the time of our service where we worship him with our giving and I know in times like this it's sometimes the toughest uh, for us to be able to have faith and know that God has got us and, uh, we might be able to might be feeling financial strain right now but that's when the Bible talks about pressing through that and just so one of the reasons why I have Madeline here with me is that for her and her husband, they went through some times, uh, financial stresses, and, and tithing really, really blessed them. So I just wanted to tell you a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So we got married young, um, and I was a full-time student, and so 
We knew going into it that it was going to be a little bit stressful as far as finances go, and many would say that we probably wouldn't or shouldn't have been able to make it. Um, but we decided as soon as we were going into marriage that we were going to start tithing, that that was going to be something that we would do for our the entirety of our marriage, um, and that we'd always be faithful givers because we knew that God would be able to bless us through that. And so through our obedience and through us trusting Him, He just opened the floodgates of heaven upon us. We have been um, through some kind of scary times, but it seems like we were never without an income. Uh, God always provided an incredible job for my husband. He always provided for us um, throughout my entire college experience, my full four years. Um, and now we're both working full time and have awesome careers where we know that we'll be financially stable. So he's just blessed us in so many ways where it could have gone wrong. He had us the whole way. And I know looking back, it was because we decided that we were going to be faithful and obedient and tithe. That's awesome. And I know that I've been talking to so many people that have been saying the same thing. Like right now, it doesn't make sense. We we shouldn't be making it financially than we are. And then I've talked to people that are going, we're actually somehow better off. And that's the way God's economy works. And thank God that we can trust him with our finances. And so today I wanna to pray that prayer for you. So many of you have that same testimony, but then there's others that you're just struggling right now. So we wanna pray a prayer of blessing over your finances. God wants you to be a success. He wants to bless your finances and we want to pray for you now. So Madeline, will you pray for us? Yes, I will. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for being a faithful God um, and for giving us your economy. We don't have to worry about the world's economy or what's going on around us because we know that we're insulated when we choose to obey and trust in you with our finances. God, and though it's scary and though it's hard to take that jump and take that leap of faith, you're there all along to catch us the entire time, Jesus. So I just pray a financial blessing over every single person um, listening to this right now, Lord Jesus, that you'll just open up the floodgates of heaven upon them, um, that you will pay bills that weren't supposed to be paid, that you will provide jobs that maybe weren't there before, um, and that you will just completely relieve any stress that is upon um, these people today that has to do with their finances, Lord. And it's in your name and it's in your glory that we pray. Amen. Amen. There's all kinds of ways that you guys can give. You can see those on the screens now. But other than that, guys, enjoy the rest of the service. admit this right now, I'm really not much of a fisherman. Um, I've been fishing a few times enough to not be afraid to bait my own hook. I can cast my own line. I can tell when the bobber goes under the water. And I know how to untangle it really well, like from the seaweed, from the trees, from my brothers, whatever the situation merited. That's about my fishing skills. I've caught a sum total of not that many fish in my life. Uh, but being on a lake, right? Like you can't argue with that. And during the quarantine season, my kids thought that they were really into fishing. So my husband dug out some old fishing poles from the garage and instead of hooks, he tied little plastic toys on the end. And the boys stood on the back patio and they would just cast out into the yard. Yes, it was a very boring time in our lives. Um, but they got good at casting. And so I thought, 
homeschool. I am a homeschool mom now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring my children into nature and I'm going to educate them around animals and lakes and we will go homeschool fishing. This is educational. So I grab random stuff from the garage that is tackle and I put it in my SUV with a lawn chair for myself and then a whole bunch of snacks because that's what moms are good at. We know how to bring the snacks, the juice boxes and the stuff for when things melt down. And we go social distance fishing at Snook's Bottom. This was like a month ago. And right from the beginning, guys, it was an absolute and total disaster. It was the worst thing ever. It was like never bring children fishing, ever. It's traumatic for the adults. But Jesus spent a ton of time fishing. He spent a lot of time along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And there he would do teaching and preaching. He would do tons of miracles. In fact, four of Jesus' disciples were actually fishermen before Jesus recruited them into ministry. And I think it's significant to talk about where Jesus did the majority of his preaching and teaching, which was on a hillside on the shore of the sea. He did a ton of his miracles in these outdoor kind of places. And he still, of course, went to the synagogue, the church of his day, and to the temple as well. But it's important to talk about that right now because right now is a weird time. Uh, Many of us are longing for our church buildings. We miss being in them. We miss coming together and gathering together. So it's important to recognize in this season that Jesus And the gospel of Jesus has never been limited to a building. Jesus' word, Jesus' ministry, Jesus' truths have always gone out into all the world. And during coronavirus, Jesus hasn't been quarantined. The gospel has gone out with even greater fervency than ever before. Here at Fellowship Church, through the live stream, we're able to reach more people than we've ever reached. We are able to do food distribution events where the gospel is going out and the the people, the poor, are being fed. It's been a really powerful time of ministry. And yet there's a longing within us. And it's not that we need, um, that, that we're just, the services have happened. We've had worship, we've had teaching, but there's still a funk, a longing inside of us where we're like, but, but something is missing. And I know for many of you at home, you tried to get a reservation to even be here with us this morning because we're missing something. And it's not the carpet and it's not the chairs and it's not the cool lights or our awesome youth and kids facilities, all of which we're very grateful for. What we've been missing is one another. What we've been missing is the camaraderie of the church family, the togetherness that comes when, well, quite frankly, we're together. And right now, we don't really have a lot of choices. We have to follow the rules and and limit our gatherings to, to just be undercover. But when we do have a choice, I want us to remember this funk. I want us to remember what it feels like to miss the church family because it's so easy to stop prioritizing the gathering together. I want to challenge you, maybe this summer, make a couple decisions, a couple less soccer tournaments, a couple less camping trips that overlap on Sunday, a couple more things to do to prioritize the coming together. Because the messages and the worship can go out on live stream, but what can't be duplicated is the togetherness that happens when we gather. And so let this funk, let it remind us how much it matters to be together because we are Fellowship Church. Fellowship Church is never the buildings, 
It was us. It was green team and red team, our children's people. It was the security team and the tech team and the bookstore. That's who Fellowship Church is. And we have to come together in the lobby when the time is right. And we have to hug each other. And we have to talk about life and share life. And moms have got to start making play dates when it's safe. And we have to be able to hang out together and really make that connection and do life together. And all of that happens, not because of a building, but but that's where we gather and that's where it does happen. And when we open up again and when that's appropriate to fully open up again, please have in your heart, you're not going to forsake, that you're going to make priorities to be here and let the funk that we've been in, let it trigger that reminder of how significant it is. So then there's Jesus and he's on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, right? And he, and he has a couple of fishing related incidences that I want us to take a look at this morning. The first one is in Luke chapter 5 and this is taking place in the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. And then later in the sermon we're going to take a look at another fishing incident in John chapter 21 that happens right after Jesus rises from the dead. So in this first historical fishing trip what we find is Jesus is out along the shores of the Sea of Galilee and the crowds are coming. And Jesus is preaching and teaching and pretty soon Jesus is healing people and miracles are happening and the crowds are pressing in even further, even further until he has nowhere else to go and he's right up against the sea. And people continue to press in until he gets himself in kind of a desperate situation. He looks down the shoreline and he sees Peter and his business partners in their boats. They've just come in from fishing through the night as commercial fishermen. And Jesus sees them, and Jesus sort of commandeers the boat. I don't know what the arrangement was, but Peter says, yeah. Jesus hops in, and Peter puts out from the shore, I don't know, eight, ten feet, so now the people can't crowd him anymore. And Jesus continued to preach, and Jesus can continue to teach, and Jesus can continue to do the healing or whatever else he was doing. The Bible actually doesn't give us a ton of content of what he did in that, in that ministry moment, but when it's done, it specifically says that Jesus told Peter to put out into deeper water and to let down the nets. The little backstory here is Peter's exhausted. He's probably overfishing completely at this moment. He's a professional fisherman, and the Bible tells us that he'd fished all night with his business partners, Andrew, his brother, and James and John, who Jesus would later, later give a nickname for the WWE called the Sons of Thunder. So these are the guys that were in business together, and they were fishing all night, and they caught nothing. How frustrating would that be? That's your livelihood. It's not like me, of course I'm gonna catch nothing, but these guys were supposed to know how to fish and they fished all night and they caught nothing. So they'd already cleaned out their boats, they'd rolled up their nets, they'd tucked in their oars, they brought down the sails. They were trying to come in to go to sleep like people who work the night shift do. But then this carpenter turned preacher commandeers their boat and makes him push out from shore a little bit. They waste a couple hours that they weren't expecting, letting him preach off the bow of their boat. And now this guy has the gall to say, hey, put back out into deeper water. I'm sure you'll catch some fish this time. Peter had to be thinking, for what? Why should I put out into deeper water? There are no fish. Have you ever felt like that? Felt like you've tried something? You've tried something, you put some thought into it, you executed something that should have worked, that should have been extremely effective, you made your very best effort. You did what you knew how to do, but in the end, you came up short and there was no fruit. That can be an incredibly frustrating place to be. I've already done this, I've already tried this. This cannot be the step to the breakthrough that I need. 
I've already read my Bible. I've already prayed that prayer. I've already had that difficult conversation with my adult child. We've already discussed my ex and I, the parenting plan. We can't come to a decision. I've already tried the marriage counseling. I've already done this, Lord. But this morning, I want to challenge you to ask yourself, is there something that I've stopped doing that Jesus is asking me to do again? Because I believe this morning that is step one to breakthrough. Step one to breakthrough is do it again. But when Jesus asked Peter to do it again, to go fishing again, Peter didn't point out, hey, I've been out there all night already. There's no fish today. He just partnered with Jesus. And in the text, in Luke 5, verse 5, it says, Peter's talking. He says, Master, Peter replied. And I bet it was easy for Peter to call Jesus master in certain areas. Like master teacher. He just watched Jesus preach. He could have easily said master healer because he'd just seen Jesus do miracles. Even master carpenter because he probably knew Jesus' work and and the carpentry that went into it. But master over fishing? That was probably hard for Peter to swallow. Peter felt like he was the professional and Jesus probably was the amateur. And sometimes it's easy for us to accept Jesus' instructions in areas where we feel no experience. Where we're like, I am over my head. I have no idea what to do. This is difficult. I don't know. So Jesus, help me. Then we're often willing to accept Jesus' help. But when it's an area that we feel really competent, we feel educated, we feel experienced, then a lot of times we want to push Jesus aside and say, no, no, I know what to do here. Jesus, I'll take your advice in spiritual things, but I'm not going to take your advice in unspiritual things. That's not, I'm not open to that. And our pride can come into the way. But we have to recognize that Jesus is the master over all. He's the master over work and school and marriage and kids and money and recreation and speeding tickets and vacations, if we ever get to do those again. Jesus is the master over everything in our life. Do you know what I don't like? I do not like not being in control. And you can can package that up nicely. You can say that I'm a planner and I'm an organizer, I'm a leader, and I like to execute the plan and I like to get my teammates involved and I like to go for it and I like to get results. But you could also quite bluntly say that I have control issues. Um, And that would also be true. And so you know how God has used this coronavirus thing in my life? He's used it to remind me that I am not the master, that I am not the master over anything, that I am not in control. And he's used it to remind me to relinquish control to him and to point out that he is the master. I'm not in control of work or of school. I'm not in control of schedules or finances. I'm not in control of the opening and closing and which businesses get to do what. And I am not in control of who is or isn't wearing a mask or what people do or do not post on social media or how illogical. That is not my domain. I am not the master. Jesus is the master. And I get to relearn in this season, and it's not been fun for me, how to relinquish that control back to the Lord and how to give him that control again. And I'm sure it's only me that's struggling with this, so I'll, I'll just move on. Verse 5. Master, Jesus replied, we're still in the first verse. Master, Jesus replied, we've just come back from fishing all night and didn't catch a thing. But if you insist... We'll go out again and let down our nets because of your word. 
because of your word. How much weight does Jesus' word carry in our lives? Another translation says, but if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. So step one to breakthrough is do it again. Step two to breakthrough is do it again. And it can be so frustrating when you feel like you're getting no results, no fruit or no fish in this case. I've already done this, Lord. If you say so, if your word says so, I will do it again. Maybe the first time Peter fished, he did the right thing at the wrong time. And maybe the first time you had that conversation, you had the right conversation, but at the wrong time for the other person to be able to receive it. Maybe, maybe the first time you prayed that prayer was the right prayer, but the timing was wrong. Or maybe the time you took that first step, it was the right first step, but it was just out of rhythm for what God was wanting to do. You see, the Bible tells us there are seasons for everything. There's a time and a place for everything under the sun. And maybe this moment is the right time. And so I want you to challenge you to ask yourself, is there something that the Lord is leading me to do again because now is the right time. People say that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing again and expect different results. But that's also the definition of faithfulness. It's also the definition of consistency. It's also the definition of obedience. How do you get a college degree? You wake up every day and you go to class again and again and again. How do you build a strong marriage? You wake up every day and you communicate and you connect again and again and again. How, how do you cause children to be connected and invested is you wake up again and you raise them by connecting and investing in them. How do you stay close to the Lord for a lifetime? You wake up every day and you read your Bible again and you pray again and again and again. It is the definition of insanity to do the same thing over and over and over again and expect different results, but it's also the definition of faithfulness. It's also the definition of consistency. It's also the definition of obedience. And that's why I think this morning, God would say to us, do it again. Verse 6, it was no sooner said than done. A huge haul of fish straining the nets past capacity, and they waved to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they filled both boats, nearly swamping them with the catch. The very breakthrough that Peter needed was in doing the thing that he had already done. One more time, in the Lord's timing this time in partnership with Jesus. You see, the first time he fished all night, he fished all night on his own. But the second time he let down the nets, he let down the nets in partnership with Jesus. And when you do the thing that you've done before, but this time in partnership with Jesus, then all of a sudden God brings the provision. God brings the blessing into that situation and he can bring provision and blessing into any situation that he's involved in. Verse 10. Jesus answered, do not yield to your fear, Simon Peter. From now on, you will catch men for salvation. Do not yield to your fear. I'll read that again. Do not yield to your fear. I know this particular part of the verse might not feel relevant in 2020 because sometimes there's random sentences in the Bible and we're like, that was written a long time ago. So probably no one in this room or no one watching from home has ever struggled and wrestled with fear. Do not yield to your fear. Our world is a little bit of a scary place right now. 
It's scary to be a black person in America right now. It is scary to be a police officer in America right now. It is scary to be a small business owner in this economy. It's scary to be an essential worker right now. It's scary to be a parent terrified that you will have to homeschool your children in the fall. It is a scary time, my brothers and sisters. And that's why this verse, it says, do not yield to fear. Do not yield. In other words, there's a lot of ways that we can allow fear to gain a foothold in our lives. But Jesus warns us, do not yield. And I love this translation. This is the passage or the passion translation. And, and that wording of yield means to slow down or to hesitate or to give up your right away to fear. Now, I think it is appropriate to yield or give the right away to another person. To, to lay down your rights to allow them to have an equal chance. I think that is appropriate, but it's not appropriate to yield your rights to fear, to permit fear to, to take over your life or mine. We have to tell fear, you do not have the right. I do not yield to you. I give you no access and I give you no permission. So this is Jesus' first big fishing trip with Peter, Luke 5. Now we're going to switch to John 21, and Jesus is going to go fishing with him again. And what has happened the day before, on the page before of the Bible, in John chapter 20, is Jesus has died on the cross. His body has been taken and buried in a grave. The tomb was covered with the stone, and now somehow the stone has been moved, and people are saying he either resurrected from the dead or his body is missing. And this is kind of the setting that John 21 begins in, so verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared once again to a group of his disciples by Lake Galilee. It happened one day while Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, and John, and two other disciples were together. I feel bad for those two other disciples. Two other, you just listed four people's names. Five, would it have killed you to add the last? They got to call it two other disciples. It's just two. And, okay. Verse 3. Jesus, Peter told them, I'm going fishing. And they all replied, we will go with you. Okay, so this verse is Peter being frustrated and disappointed with his life. He had quit fishing professionally. He had gone on this ministry trek with Jesus, right? Gone to villages. He'd seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. He'd seen Jesus heal people. He had actually seen his own ministry, Peter actually went and healed his own people. Peter walked on water, and then it all became unraveled with this unpredictable event of Jesus being arrested, and then Peter denied him, and then he, Jesus died, and now his body's missing, and Peter is saying with this sentence, I quit. This is too much disappointment. This is too much frustration. This is not what I expected. I can't do this anymore. He's throwing in the towel. And the other disciples, some of whom are his former business partner, the Sons of Thunder, right? He's saying to them, I'm going fishing. In other words, he's saying, you guys want to get back in business together? And they agreed. They're dropping out of ministry. They're getting out their old nets, their old boats, and they're going back to their old way of life because of frustration, because of disappointment, because it's not turning out how they thought it would. The Bible continues, so they went out and they fished through the night, but caught nothing. So they fished through the night. That lets us know, again, commercial fishermen. They weren't recreationally fishing along the shore, calm and relaxed in their lawn chair. They were fishing through the night. 
and they caught nothing. Now again, it's not surprising if I tell you a story where I caught nothing fishing, but these guys are pros. They should have easily caught enough to feed their family, to make some money for their household, but they caught nothing. And I think it's really important that we recognize that once we have tasted and seen what Jesus has to offer, that when we go back to the old things, the old relationships, the old habits, the old dependencies, the old patterns, the old addictions, that they will suddenly become incredibly unfruitful. They will not fulfill us because once we've tasted Jesus, we realize that we don't have a taste for those old things that used to satisfy us. So verse 4 says, At dawn, Jesus was standing there on the shore, but his disciples did not realize it was him. He called out to them saying, Hey guys, did you catch any fish? No, not a thing, they replied. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's in our DNA. That if we as a human being see another human being fishing, we feel obligated at some primal level to ask them if they've caught any fish. I do not know why. And then most often if the person is anyone experienced in fishing, they then feel obligated to offer some fishing advice. This is how it goes, and it cracks me up that Jesus engages in this. Now keep in mind that his disciples don't know it's him. So for his disciples, it's like some random dude is on the beach yelling, the same as everybody experiences, asking about fish, and now going to give some fishing-based instructions. Jesus, of course, knows that they've caught nothing. He's the master, even over fishing. He's the master of all old things, old relationships, old habits, old dependencies that we're tempted to go back to. Verse 6, so Jesus shouted to them, throw your nets on the starboard side and you'll catch some. I wonder, Jesus the carpenter, right? Jesus the carpenter giving the fishing advice. Do that thing you've been doing, but do it again. Do it again with this little, little change. Throw your nets on the starboard or the right side. So step one to breakthrough, do it again. Step two to breakthrough, do it again. Step three to breakthrough, do it again with this small change. And I wonder if the disciples who are in the boat, who don't know the guy on the shore is Jesus, I wonder if they're laughing at his expense going, doesn't he know the fish can swim under the boat? Doesn't he realize left side, right side, what's the big deal? We put our nets in here, fine, well just to humor the strange weirdo, put our nets over here on the right side of the boat. You think that's going to make any difference at all? They don't know it's Jesus, so they're just, I think, humoring this crazy guy on the beach. And so, the Bible says, and so they did as he said, and they caught so many fish, they couldn't even pull in the net. Cast your net on the right side. Do you know how being off by one degree can mess up everything? Like imagine you're hiking, right? And it's your goal to hike straight to this rock out there. But you start off just one degree off of the correct trail. And you hike and you hike. The longer you hike off by one degree, the worse your problem is. You hike for an hour, you're a little bit off. You hike for two, you're twice as far. Three, four, days, weeks, months. Imagine living your lifetime off by one degree. How could it matter left side to the right side? We're off by one degree. And I wonder this morning if the Holy Spirit isn't speaking to some of us saying, what small change have you been asked to make? Maybe you've been using the wrong tone. Or maybe it's been the wrong body posture or the wrong friend or the wrong Netflix series or the wrong fill in the blank. 
And all of a sudden, this small little bit has gotten you off course down a road. My marriage is such a mess. What can changing the tone of my voice do about anything? Maybe you're thinking, my kids are so disengaged right now. How, how can me putting down my cell phone at night make any difference at all? My business is in such bad shape. How could me waking up early and going into work 15 minutes ahead and praying over my business, how could that make any difference? Or maybe my health is so poor. How can walking around my neighborhood create any change? We're so behind in our finances. How could tithing 10% do anything? How could this little tweak from the left side to the right side, how could that make any difference at all? But here's the spiritual principle that's found in Zechariah 4.10. It says, do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Jesus said to Peter and his partners, make this small change and see what I can do. Make this small change. And sometimes we get caught up looking for the big change, looking for this massive step that we could somehow take that would, that would fix the whole crazy thing that is our lives. But what we underestimate is that God significantly partners with those who will make the small first step. And we don't recognize that that small first step is the very thing that will unravel the full change that we need. Verse 7, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Okay, we're in the book of John. John is writing this book. John, the son of thunder, right? He's writing this book, and he's referring to himself, okay? He knew it was him, but instead of saying John said to Peter, he said the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter. He could have easily used his name, but instead he used this title, the disciple whom Jesus loved. I think he wants us to know that when he's standing on the beach of our life and he's correcting us, that he's doing it because he loves us. There are so many times in our life where the, where the Holy Spirit, where Jesus is, is calling to us and, and changing our course, right side, left side, small tweak, big tweak. He's asking us to make a change and our defenses go up and we say, no, 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 I don't, Jesus must be mad at me. He's disappointed in me and we shut down. But I think John wrote that verse that way saying the one Jesus loved, he loves us enough to correct us. He loves us enough to redirect us. And I think the reason that, that John wrote it that way is he wants us to know for sure that if today Jesus is standing on the lakeside of your life and he's calling to you, he's coaching you, he's correcting you, he's challenging you, that he's doing it to you because he loves you. So the four steps to breakthrough. Step one, do it again. Step two, do it again. Step three, do it again with this small change. And then step four to breakthrough is that Jesus does it again. If we go back to our first text in Luke chapter 5, verse 10, the do not yield to fear because I will make you fishers of men or from now on you'll be fishing for men for salvation. Remember that? Jesus was on a fishing trip too. Peter was fishing two times for fish. Jesus was fishing two times for Peter. Jesus was fishing for Peter. Jesus wanted to capture Peter's heart. Jesus wanted to capture Peter's affection and attention in both texts. Jesus didn't care about the fish. Jesus cared about Peter. He was trying to capture Peter. 
And so he told Peter, be faithful. Do it again. Be consistent. Do it again. You're almost there. Do it again. Make this small change. Do it again. And here's what's so amazing about Jesus is that he is fishing for us too. Just like he pursued Peter. Just like he was all about trying to captivate and capture Peter's heart and love and affection and bring Peter into a place of his destiny. I believe this morning that Jesus is trying to capture each one of our hearts. And he's trying to draw us in to a deeper place. He's fishing, but it's not for fish. He's fishing for our affection and attention. And he's saying to us from the beach of our life, he's on the shore and he's calling to us who he loves. And he's saying, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. You're almost there. Make this little change, but then just do it again. It's not insanity. It's faithfulness. It's not insanity. It's consistency. Keep going. You're almost there. You've got this. And friends, Peter is fishing for us. So this morning, I'd like to invite everyone to close their eyes and bow their head, whether you're here in the worship center or whether you're watching from home. And let's just seal this. God, thank you that you love us enough to stand on the beach of our life and call our name and to challenge us to change in even small ways in our lives. And God, there are many that need a breakthrough this morning, and we pray that you would give us the strength to continue to be faithful and consistent and to do it again. And Lord, we are so grateful that we serve a God who loves us enough to fish for us, that even when we're wandering in our mind or our thoughts or in our confidence in you, that you fish for us, you pursue us, you catch us, you draw us back to you with all the love in the universe. God, we pray for each one that's struggling, that needs a breakthrough, that feels like they've been fishing and fishing and fishing and fishing with no fish. God, that you would tear down that stronghold and give them that breakthrough that they need. Impart to them the instructions that they need to be faithful and to just do it again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, church family, we love you so much, and we will see you either online or in person next Sunday morning. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans that if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior, to guide my life and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time or if you need prayer at all, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. If this was your first time experiencing Fellowship Church, please click the first time link located in the description below this video. Thanks again. We hope to see you next week for our online services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m.